0: Talk Money is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. For updates, further breakdowns, and past episodes of this podcast, sign up at thetalkmoney.com.
1: If you enjoy our podcast, help us get the word out. Write a review on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to help us reach more ears. And now you can sign up for our newsletter, where we curate the best money topics of the week from across the internet. It's quick, informative, and most importantly, fun. Sign up at com slash newsletter. Hey, everyone. Mesh here. Welcome back to the Talk Money Weekly, where we talk about current business events paired with our newsletter. Today's episode, Smoking Weed Can Save the Economy. Dude, do I have your attention? I'm pretty sure I do. I know I have your attention if you're smoking weed right now. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, technically... The legalization of marijuana on a federal level has the potential to create a massive economic impact, both in terms of the sales of weed, i.e. you buying some weed to smoke or your gummies, and for all those things that y'all love out there, I don't personally ingest this stuff. It gives me anxiety, but that's okay. I wish I could. I wish I didn't have night sweats and freak out and think that the whole world was crashing on me, but it's okay. I appreciate that you love it, and I love you for it. And so what I actually like about this stuff is that it's not just about the sales. Beyond that, it's about the potential for industries like agriculture, the transportation industry, potential pharmaceuticals from that. All these things add into the economic effect of making this stuff legal. There's multiple industries that this could affect that right now we've only seen the tip of the iceberg on. Granted that some states are legal and some states are decriminalized and some states are legal, but they can't officially sell yet. So there's still a lot of like gray area in this, and we haven't seen the potential massive economic impact that this could have for the country let alone the potential tax revenue that could be made off this industry if it's been legal, not only on a state level, but on a federal level. So the government right now needs money. They need to raise money to pay for all the debt they've incurred because of everything that's happened over the last two years. And so they're looking at all sorts of ways to make that revenue back. And because the government is looking for different ways to generate revenue right now from a tax perspective, why not make weed legal? and then tax the shit out of it. And then they can pay for all the debt they've incurred for the last 24 months and everything before that. So this was just a subject I thought was really interesting, especially given that we've been talking about the stock market and NFTs and crypto. Let's take a little bit of a break from that and talk about something that could be actually quite fun and useful for you if you like smoking cannabis. So I reached out to my friend Verena Von Fetten, the co-founder of Gossmer, a lifestyle brand for cannabis users that I also happen to be an investor in. And she's one of the smartest people I know, the most articulate person I know when it comes to talking about this stuff. Who better than Verena to walk us through all this? So here's the interview with Verena. Verena, thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me. Well, so
1: part of the reason why I wanted to chat with you is because, you know, the cannabis industry has been interesting, I think, with what's been recently uh, proposed in terms of legalizing cannabis on a federal level, but before we get into that, what's the current status with cannabis now? Like, Where is it legal, where is it illegal, and why has this been such a big issue?
0: The current status of cannabis is that it is legislated state by state. So it is currently federally illegal. It is still a Schedule I substance on a federal level. And that creates a lot of problems. But it is legal, I believe, in over 18 or 18 states now for adult use. You know, another word for recreational or depending on the, the state, like 18 and up. Um, and I think over 36 or 37 now for medicinal. So, you know, we are seeing cannabis legalized in some form or another in almost the majority of states at this point. And that doesn't even include the states in which it's been, you know, decriminalized, which is to say you can't necessarily purchase it and you might not have access to it, but the likelihood of you being arrested and penalized for it should theoretically be low. I say theoretically because obviously we know how things are policed relatively unequally. But yeah, overall it is still a federally illegal uh substance which creates this very sort of murky and confusing market where for you know, huge swaths of the population. California, right? Like one of the world's largest economies as a state on its own has a robust adult use market where, you know, to maybe the average consumer, they don't even think twice about it. This is something that they can stop at a dispensary on the way to work, pick up what they need on the way home from work instead of getting a bottle of wine. But when you look at it on a federal level, it's still illegal. And that creates a lot of issues, both in terms of how the industry grows and is rolled out and also how it sort of manifests both on an individual level and on a corporate level. You know, federally legal means banks can't touch funds that have been generated by cannabis sales. Businesses that are plant touching don't have access to traditional banking or loans or small business loans um, or financing you know, it still can't cross state lines. So what you have is all of these almost micro industries. You know, you have an industry in California, you have an industry in Colorado, you have an industry in Massachusetts. Those are all wildly different. There's no sort of uniform way that cannabis as an industry exists across the country.
1: Is this somewhat political going back decades, given that obviously, you know, alcohol is something that we can get federally and then each state has different laws around it. But what is it about cannabis is it like a negative connotation for it like obviously there was all this stuff with drugs back in the day weed is bad for you xyz but you know nothing was really done about alcohol why has it been so difficult why has the process taken so long to not only legalize it state by state but even to bring it up on a federal level
0: yeah, I mean I think that conversation is changing. So obviously cannabis has been deeply deeply stigmatized. It goes back to the I believe 1920s, 1930s when the sort of anti-cannabis anti- Literally, the term marijuana campaign started, and it originally started as almost like an anti-immigration campaign because the coverage was around immigrants from Mexico and their sort of marijuana that they were bringing across the border. So, you know, right out of the gate, when we talk about the way cannabis was originally criminalized, before this, it was legal. You know, as were many substances in this country, you know, and cocaine at, at a certain point was considered a legal substance. But cannabis, I think people sort of forget or don't necessarily realize that it's been illegal for less than 100 years. And that the roots of that, the roots of that criminalization started immediately as an anti-immigration a sort of form of xenophobia and a way to demonize a swath or a community. Then you look at the sort of historical war on drugs that we had in the 70s through the 80s, again, kind of similar. There's a lot of reasons that the war on drugs was enacted, but I think at this point there is sort of irrefutable evidence and proof and, you know, sort of very candid discussions that it was a way to, again, demonize and criminalize a swath of the population, which is to say people of color and men of color. You know, how do you prevent a large community from voting when you think that they're not going to vote for you, a la Nixon. Um, You find a way to criminalize and punish them for something that they are going to receive unequal weight on and remove them from the voting pool. So, you know, there's just been a lot of work that has been both subtly but very pervasively done to make this substance seem illegal and terrible and bad for you. But the reality is people have had a relationship to cannabis for a really, really long time. Obviously, there's misinformation. You know, We are hitting a point now where we are finally getting a better understanding of what cannabis is, how it interacts with our system, what the medicinal benefits are, though, again, you would argue that it's been used (laughs) as medicine in cultures all around the world for thousands of years. But because of the way it's been policed, we haven't really been able to study it. You know, there is still only a handful of federal studies that have been done in the U.S. about cannabis. Most of them happen internationally where countries like Israel or the Czech Republic have loosened their regulations such that a lot of the scientific breakthroughs are coming from them. And so then when you talk about where we are now, what you see is that, Yes, it has happened very, very slowly and incrementally and state by state. But the more that happens, you know, at a certain point when over half the states in this country have decriminalized it or legalized it in some form or another, you see people start to feel more comfortable, right? You know, the more you are familiar with something, the less scary it is. The more research we have to understand, is it actually a gateway drug, you know? What impact does it have on the brain? You know, what are some of the ramifications around actions people take while under the influence, so to speak, when you compare it to, say, alcohol? And I think we're finally getting a much more well-rounded understanding of how ultimately mild of a substance this is um, and how the benefits far outweigh any of the downsides, again, certainly compared to alcohol, which, you know, I think you'd be hard-pressed to be looking at any sort of medicinal benefits to alcohol unless you're talking about, you know, rubbing alcohol for cleaning something. But in terms of ingesting alcohol, it's not like there's even a conversation around how this could be helpful. So as we now talk about the potential for federal legalization, it's less of a political hot button issue. You know, if you talk 10, look at this 10 or 20 years ago, I think historically we all know that like theoretically the more left-leaning you are, the more likely you are to say let's legalize cannabis or let's, you know, have more social focused legislation around substances that are around harm reduction as opposed to criminalization. Now we're starting to have conversations that are, you're seeing on both sides, obviously driven sometimes for different reasons. You know, I think when you look at it from a sort of more left-leaning perspective, it is, again, still around harm reduction. It's around social justice and equity and a way to sort of right the playing field that has been deeply, deeply lopsided. And then if you look at it more on the, the sort of right side of the spectrum, obviously it's about the potential for money and, you know, what the tax dollars could do for the economy. Even farther right, you almost have like a more libertarian perspective, which is to to say the government should have no opinion or say as to what I have access to or don't, or, you know, the substances I want to do on my own time. And I think we are finally at a point where, because it is so prevalent, both culturally and commercially, that I would say politicians on sort of both sides of the party line feel a little more comfortable pursuing legalization, or at least feel or recognize that, being anti-cannabis isn't going to really get them anywhere. They might not necessarily run on a pro-cannabis campaign, but, you know, a decade ago or or more, people would have been running on an anti-cannabis campaign, you know, going door to door saying, like, we need to make sure this stuff stays out of our kids' hands or whatever. And at this point, like, that sort of campaign isn't going to get them anywhere. The last sort of fun fact is really also that cannabis is a truly sort of bipartisan topic. You know, it has an approval rating almost equal on both sides of the spectrum and and has for as long as it's been criminalized, it's just been criminalized for different reasons.
1: Well, I mean, speaking about the economic part, I mean, is there something we can learn from California and Colorado and states like that that have benefited economically from cannabis both in terms of like small business revenue, industry revenue, and then from a tax revenue perspective. I'm assuming those use cases have been positive and influencing, hey, we're at this point in time right now where no one's really like anti-cannabis, but also we have a really, really big bill that we need to pay in terms of spending right now in the U.S. economy. We have to find all sorts of ways to pay this. I've got to imagine that has something to do with why this is being brought up now?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, one of the reasons New York, it, the conversation around legalization in New York has been happening for a long time, but I think it's no coincidence that it was pushed through in 2021, you know, in the midst of and on the heels of probably one of the most devastating economic years that this country has had because of the pandemic. And certainly the state has had. It is a huge, huge industry. You know, I think one thing I want to sort of remind people of and clarify, is the context around cannabis. We're not just talking about you know like cpg like consumer packaged goods and retail sales we are talking about a comprehensive industry that touches almost every facet of industry that we currently have it is agriculture it is manufacturing it is retail it is transportation you know it, it is health it is medical infrastructure and so when you start to look at it from that perspective the economic impact is absolutely mind-boggling you know a lot of the numbers people look at are typically around cannabis sales right so like I think California's cannabis sales in 2020 hit, um, I think, $3.5 billion of the legal sales. But the ultimate economic impact is usually, you know, probably... 10, 20 times that. When you think of where that money is going, the jobs that have been created, all of a sudden the economic impact of, you know, agriculture workers commuting. There's a huge trickle-down effect where we're not just talking about, like, the volume of sales. We are talking about this entire industry and how much money it can generate and certainly can be pulled out of it. The majority of the sort of Government interest is obviously, yes, in job creation and the broader economic impact, but certainly on taxes. So right now, cannabis in most states where it is legal, there are very, very high taxes on the product. And that happens at almost every stage of the supply chain. The manufacturers and the producers feel it, but then certainly the customers feel it when they buy it in a dispensary. And that's why, you know, cannabis is still relatively expensive compared to the legacy market. Um, And when I say legacy market, I mean the market that existed before it was made legal and that continues to still operate. I think that's one of the sort of you know, it's not a secret if you work in the industry, but I think the average consumer or maybe people sort of on the outside don't realize that the legal industry is still just pennies on the dollar to what the legacy market is doing. You know, I think the illicit market is thought to be $100 billion in the U.S. every year. That's how much money it generates. So when you talk about $3.5 billion in California, that's great, but that's only scratching the surface of what this industry would look like if it was fully flipped to be fully legal.
1: And can you tell us a bit about actually what the proposal was that was presented, that cannabis should be legalized on a federal level? I mean, it seemed to be a a bit of headline news. I was caught by, surprised by it. I sent it to you, hence why we're having this conversation. But it seemed to come out of left field, given we've just been talking about state by state by state. And this one seemed to be received pretty well. I mean, what do you think the chances of this even happening are or what would need to happen?
0: Yeah, so there's, uh, there's actually like a couple ways to look at it and a couple sort of bills that are being presented and that people are focusing on. I think one that is worth looking at in tandem, certainly in this conversation, is the Safe Banking Act. So there's full federal legalization of cannabis, and let's bracket that for one second. And then there's the Safe Banking Act, which is something that, you know, is a bill that has been tried to be pushed through for several years now. And all it is is to give the cannabis industry access to traditional financial institutions. Right now, that doesn't exist at all. Banks don't want to touch it because it's a federally illegal substance and they don't want to take on that risk. So what you instead have is an industry that operates almost exclusively on cash, (laughs) which is absolutely wild, um, and non-traditional financial institutions, which are obviously very, very high risk and usually carry extremely high interest rates and also impact the way the industry grows. Because the only way to really participate is to have access to non-traditional sources of funding, which is to say typically venture funding um, or investment funding, as opposed to a small business loan. So that's one sort of bill that people have kept their eye on and that finally seems close to making its way through the House and through the Senate and to ultimately pass. What's interesting about it, it is a entirely bipartisan bill. I think over two dozen governors wrote a letter urging, you know, the House and the Senate to pass this. They have now, I believe, even tried to tie it to a defense funding bill or a defense finance bill in order to push it through. Like at this point, they're just like, what can we do (laughs) to make, you know, the money around cannabis an easier conversation? And yes, that benefits the people it would typically benefit, which is to say, when you talk about cannabis, it is inherently political. It's also inherently Very racist. And so, on the one hand, the safe banking bill uh, would allow these dominantly white financial institutions to benefit but it would also allow small business owners and generally people of color, women who are often locked out of venture funding and access to capital, it would give them access to small business loans. It would give them access to traditional capital in the same way that if someone wanted to open, you know, a corner store on their block or a small kids clothing e-com site, you know, all of a sudden now we're on a slightly more level playing field. In terms of the actual full-blown legalization conversation, obviously very similarly driven. Certainly, I think the main thrust is going to be financial. You know, that the, the benefit on an economic level is just, I think it's sort of impossible to not have that be the driver again in the midst of a pandemic and when we are still trying to figure out the economy. But also, you know, I think most recently or the most recent study was that more than 70 percent of the U.S. population supports Legalizing cannabis. And the Democrats and sort of, you know, the more left side of the spectrum have been pushing it for a long time. But all of a sudden now the Republicans are realizing, hey, there's a benefit here for us too. If 70% of the population supports this, what if we're the ones that push it through? And what if we're the ones that then take that away from the Democratic platform? So you're getting into this sort of very interesting, um, you know, for lack of a better word, like arms race as to who really will push it through. Chuck Schumer, obviously in New York, has barely. In advocating for legalization, and he has a bill that he has submitted and is championing. I think the sort of more exciting part is that Hochul signed it and supported it, I think just this month, and that you are seeing this sort of like bipartisan support behind it. So will it happen this year or anytime soon? Probably not. Biden is obviously very notoriously anti-cannabis, but I think at a certain point, The conversation needs to be had, not just around the finances, but also as, you know, if 70% of the population supports it, they're supporting it for a variety of different reasons. They're supporting it because they want access. They're supporting it because they don't understand why we're spending the money to police it. How much money are we spending to keep it inaccessible? they're supporting it because there is very clearly a national conversation around social justice and what that looks like and how cannabis has you know been one of the ways in which we have unfairly like criminalized entire swaths of this uh, country and what it means to give people safe harbor and safe access to something that helps them or that could create jobs, or the taxes of which can be poured back into the community, you know most of the legalization efforts that have passed i mean they have these huge carve outs for taxes that go into city infrastructure they go into communities that have been disproportionately harmed it drives hundreds of millions of dollars in state and local taxes that can fund even schools and education so it is just this entire untapped source and resource that all of a sudden i think when we're looking at you know relatively limited framework in terms of what we can and can't do right now due to the pandemic and whatever else, why would we not open up this fire hose? New
1: York is legal, but you can't sell it legally yet, right?
0: Yeah. So legalization is always a slow process. And that's sort of why I was like, will it happen anytime soon? I mean, depends what your definition of soon is. So, you know, in New York, it was legalized this past spring, which is to say, The bill passed and it said, okay, great. New York will have an adult use legal market. The process after something is legalized, you know, you don't just snap your fingers and all of a sudden have a fully robust industry. You have to write the framework. You have to write the laws and create the legislation that says, okay, now this is how this industry works. You have to hire people in government to push that forward. You know, I think we're in December. um, We legalized in spring. I think there've only been a handful of appointees to um, the sort of, you know, cannabis side of government that's going to try and figure out in New York what this legal framework looks like. And then from there, you have to have everything written. Once it's written, you have to actually uh, hand out the licenses. And you have to hand out the licenses on the dispensary and retail side, on the production side, on the agriculture side. You then have to, like, create an entire system of banking and finance that doesn't currently exist because we can't use the traditional forms. So even though it was legalized in spring of 2021, I think the reality is that the first legal sale, the earliest it's going to happen in New York is in 2023. You know, the hope is that it's maybe Q1 or Q2, but there's no chance that we're going to have a fully legal sale in, in New York in 2022. No licenses have even been handed out. No one's been able to purchase real estate to have a dispensary, let alone to be able to make a sale. Does that mean that people are not currently buying weed? No, (laughs) because there is a legacy market here. And because it's been decriminalized, you know, you're also starting to see these very creative workarounds that allow people to sort of, in some ways, publicly market cannabis for purchase. I mean, we've seen this, I think, in D.C. or Baltimore for a while, I mean, D.C. is another example of uh, – Yeah,
1: I see it in D.C. Yeah,
0: it's it's legal there, but there's no real framework for purchase. So what it's often sold as is like a gift with purchase, you know, buy some socks and get a dime bag.
1: Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's the one I heard, buy the socks, yeah. Yeah, get some weed.
0: And you're seeing those stores pop up in New York. I mean, there's one on the Lower East Side that is like – You walk in and you're buying arguably a bunch of other things, but really what you're there for is to buy flowers, to buy weed.
1: I mean, you could see, I mean, I I feel like I overheard this happen in a bodega once. I'm like, 100% they were buying something other than, you know, a chopped cheese or whatever, chopped steak sandwich and a a, a beer.
0: Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, I think people are just being public about it. You know, I think it's a good thing, right? This is happening no matter what. So the ability to, be able to have it in more public avenues and in safer spaces and to give access to people who wouldn't ordinarily have access or might need it for whatever reason. You know, we're going to be seeing some really creative interpretations of legal cannabis in New York between now and the first legal sale. You know, the other thing that I think comes into play when you talk about this sort of like state-by-state legalization and what I said earlier about how it's different in every state. And when you talk about the fact that there isn't access to traditional capital, the other benefit to either the Banking Act being pushed through or federal legalization is just a more diverse industry. Because right now what's happening is you're seeing what's called an MSO, multiple MSOs, multi-state operators, the ones that have the capital and have done this in one state, just set up operations in another state and another state and another state. So what ultimately is going to, you know, the way the industry is trending is that you have a handful of multi-state operators that really run the industry across the country. If we don't federally legalize and or push through a safe banking act we're going to have ultimately a monopolized form of cannabis industry and i think what we need is to push this through sooner so that there is more opportunity for everyone to benefit and i say that even from a consumer perspective i think we all know like the consumer would benefit even more if there was a larger variety from which they could choose
1: um Last question I have for you is do you think, and there might not be, but do you think there are industries out there that are threatened by cannabis becoming legally, like if I'm in the alcohol business or if I'm in the tobacco business and now I've just got another entrant of vice that people might have? Um, Or is it one of those things where everyone's happy to?
0: Yeah. What are those things where everyone's happy to just get along? (laughs) Does that exist? (laughs) I think the reality is. Well, they are all
1: complementary vices to some degree, but uh, I guess not, right?
0: (laughs) No, I think there is an absolute impact. This study or report is probably a little out of date at this point, but I know, you know, as of a few years ago, let's call it like 2018, there i think was almost like a 10 to 20% drop in alcohol consumption um in any state that legalized You know, you just sort of immediately see this and maybe not alcohol consumption, but certainly expenditures. You know, you see customers start to or consumers start to funnel their dollars into an adjacent space. That said, there's plenty of alcohol companies who are placing aggressive bets on cannabis and are investing heavily in even launching their own product lines or collaborations or, you know, fully just funding nascent brands Certainly in the tobacco side of things, too. You know, Kentucky is one, maybe unexpectedly, but one of the largest producers of hemp, I think the largest producer of hemp in this country. And that's because Mitch McConnell, it's his home state, and, you know, all the former tobacco farmers have turned their fields over to hemp. And you have this, like, very, very robust agricultural industry that can immediately flip over and start growing commercially more successful crop at this point than tobacco. I mean, that's an interesting conversation around New York too, which has a very robust agricultural community that we have seen certainly lots of conversations around the struggles with dairy farmers and upstate produce. And some of the more, you know, interesting and maybe compelling possibilities are what does it look like if some of those farms become cannabis or hemp farms. Hemp and cannabis are also great for soil. You can use them to clean soil as a crop. You know, hemp is something that farmers can use in between seasons or grow in between seasons. So there's all these opportunities to not just like replace an industry necessarily, but to help buttress it as well.
1: Do you have any predictions for the next, let's call it 24 months of what potentially could happen given that you've been following the space very closely, you guys have been working within it, being patient, What do you think, or I guess, what do you hope happens in the next 12 to 24 months?
0: It's an interesting question. I think one of the bigger debates, certainly from a legislative perspective, and that I've sort of alluded to a little bit, is should the Safe Banking Act be pushed through right away, or should it only happen when we have a fully federal legalization conversation? And there are arguments on both sides. If you push the Safe Banking Act through now, then more people might be able to benefit. But if you don't create a federal legalization and a framework for it that is really, really thoughtful, that takes into account social justice and equity then you may just have the same problem, which is to say the businesses that are already flourishing and benefiting will just benefit more and everyone will remain locked out. I think what we are seeing though, and that might be one of the few benefits, if any, and I'm sort of like reticent to use that word, of the state by state regulation and legislation, is you see states learn from each other. You know, you see the way legislation was written, for example, in Colorado, one of the first states to legalize, social justice was the first thing that was dropped from that bill. They could not get, and you know, we're talking now almost a decade ago, they could not get that bill anywhere without decoupling it from you know, the the social justice or the prison reform conversation. California, they managed to legalize it with a little bit more of that. So, like, Oakland was famous for having one of the more progressive legislations, which is to say giving equity licenses to those who had been, you know, incarcerated for low-level cannabis crimes. That's great. But then you take it another step further, and in New York, what we started to see was them learning from, okay, Oakland did it, but it didn't actually really benefit anyone. Because you can't just hand someone a license and say, okay, now go. You know, you need an entire support system. You need access to capital. You also need the entire industry to come together and say, we want to keep these people front of the line instead of taking advantage of them. And so... What's happening in New York is they've written a far more robust legislation where the licenses are going to people of color. Um, They are saying they will. We'll see. But, you know, that you need to have an equity partner, and an equity partner is a person of color or a woman, and that the taxes, the dollars from taxes are not just to be used at the state's discretion, but that it is written into the legislation that a certain percentage of the tax dollars goes to specific communities, goes directly back into communities that Mm -hmm. have been impacted. So the question then becomes on a federal level is, what does that look like? Does Is it then still up to the states to figure that out state by state? Or do we open this up and create a very broad, far-reaching rubric that creates an equitable cannabis system for all? You know, that's my hope. I don't want to be a pessimist because I think that that doesn't help get anything done. But I don't know that this country is so great at doing that. But I think almost anyone who I think is in this industry, whether for purely financial reasons or even just has some understanding of the history and legacy of it. You know, has to know that in order to build a truly sustainable industry, you know, that isn't like tobacco, where all of a sudden it's dying because we've realized how bad it was and how sort of poorly it's impacted people, in order to build something that's really sustainable and to also have the U.S. be a player in cannabis globally. You know, we're not the only country trying to legalize and benefit from it. Canada has already legalized. And and the concern there is that Canada will handle more of the exports than the U.S. can. So it's not just a domestic conversation. It's an international conversation. And in order for the U.S., I think, to have as sustainable of an industry as I think we'd like, that this has to be done quickly, but also done thoughtfully so that we are building something for the really, really long term here.
1: Marina, thank you, as always, for your expert opinion on the subject.
0: Hey, you are welcome. It is my pleasure.
1: So that's our interview and a pretty enlightening interview it was, and Verena did such a great job explaining the nuances of this industry and the potential that it has. I mean, think about it. There's no financial services industry in cannabis. And then what it takes for policymakers to actually create policy. That was actually something I'm like, why does this stuff take so long? I actually didn't know all the small details that go into Making such a massive policy change and what it would take to do something, even though that it's something that is so approved by not only most Americans, but government officials. But you need... Policymakers, you have to change banking systems. I mean, just a ton of stuff that not only after listening to this interview was I enlightened about this industry, but also, wow, well, actually, yeah, I feel pretty convinced that it does have a massive economic impact and it would benefit us as a country. And then, let alone think about the international implications of that. What adds if the United States becomes the biggest exporter of cannabis on multiple levels? Nothing better than the US likes to do than making money. So, Seems pretty cool to me. I'm really excited just to keep up to date with this. It'll be interesting to see what happens to New York in the next 12 to 24 months when you can actually buy marijuana legally, i.e. walk into a store and you know buy whatever measurements are and when it comes to marijuana. I don't remember from maybe my college days. What was it, an eighth? I don't know. So I think when New York becomes officially, officially legal, that's a pretty massive step forward. Now you've got like You know, two of the biggest economies in the country that are legalized. And hopefully things will just continue to go in a progressive way. And I think that would be great, both from an economic standpoint. And I think everyone's just going to be relieved because, you know, who wants to meet a shady dude in a parking lot, dark alley to buy your weed when you know that this is what your grandmother wants and you should buy it legally and in a safe place? So that's our episode for this week. I want to thank. Gossamer founder Verena Von Fetten for talking to us and make sure that you tune in to our last episode of the year next week make sure you sign up for the newsletter thetalkmoney.com slash newsletter until next time